0: I'm Phil Hopton, and I'm Ollie Cadell, and you're listening to The Practice Evolution Podcast, brought to you by Walters Kluwer Tax and Accounting UK.
1: In this podcast series, we talk to industry leaders, influencers, fellow accountants and technology experts to address key issues impacting you, the accountant, as you continue to evolve your practice and adapt to the ever-changing needs of both your teams and your clients.
0: Well, Ollie, we're back uh, and we are interrupting our... our um calendar of account tech specials. So Um,
2: many.
0: So many of them. We're we're interrupting our our calendar of account tech specials to do something a little bit different this episode. Ollie, what are we doing this episode?
1: Well, it's odd. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for almost a year now. We started in July 2022. And it's our show, and yet we've never done just a straightforward two-hander between you and I, which has led to people asking me whether we actually talk to each other. (laughs) other than our little intros but you're
0: right we haven't and and actually we've chosen to do this episode on uh, a two-hander because it's about a topic that's that's pretty important to you right and one that's timely as well so so what's our topic for this episode what are we what are we ollie what are me and you going to get into this episode
1: uh well it's june 2023 as we record this and therefore pride month is upon us and i talked to other employees at Walters Clear about this in the past. We had our culture festival in autumn of 2022, where I was on a panel talking about being your authentic self. And it was a, a fantastic session. Phil moderated that one. And we had people talking about different challenges that they'd faced. But I talked about issues that were particularly relevant to me as an LGBT plus person. And the experience that i had in the workplace. And we we wanted to tackle this on the podcast head-on. We did Black History Month last year. We've done International Women's Day, where we handed over to Elise back in March. And we want to cover these important cultural affairs because ultimately we pride ourselves on the on the high quality of the culture at Walters Clue.
0: Yeah, and I think. I think, look, this is something that organizations do struggle with, right? We are so, and I think you put a great post on, um, I think it was LinkedIn last week, right? Um, Some friends of mine put some great posts about how far we've come. And sometimes we don't celebrate or look at how far we come. We look at what we haven't done or or where we fall short and as a country for all of this country's faults and you know you can argue that we probably have a couple but you know let's not get into politics on the podcast um one of the things we 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 are better than most at is kind of the the lgbtq plus thing mm. in the workplace and and kind of and in I think in culture in general you look at a lot of what's happening in America right now and it's it's a mm. i mean it's scarier than ever to be like in that group in America right now uh, as legislation mm. just goes barking mad i said i wasn't going to do politics right but you know <laughs> in the UK i think it's one of the things that we are better at than a lot of the world not maybe the best but you know What's your thoughts on that? How, how how are we as a society? And like, let's start. Let's start as high as we can get mm. with a with a, a global country view. How are we as a country and 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 that compared to the world and everything else? Talk me through your post. I think.
1: Well, the f- the first thing I should say on that is that you know I'm. I'm I'm representing my own views when I say this. I don't claim to speak for all LGBT plus people, many of whom may be listening to this episode of the pod. Many of them may not agree with what I'm about to say in this episode. Many of them will. Um, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Let's discuss these issues. Let's have that debate. Because ultimately, I think we all agree on the end destination we want to reach. We want to reach a world free of prejudice. We just don't necessarily agree on the journey, how we're going to get there. You know, the mode of transport and the and the the sort of Indiana Jones map journey. Um, <laughs> we've, we've, I, we've, I
0: love the fact that the journey is now in my head an Indiana Jones map
1: with yeah, we a all, plane
0: flying across it.
1: We all know that we want to get to Cairo. Um, <laughs> but yeah the the post that I think you're referring to is the one after I was on um Dale's live stream on LinkedIn last week yeah he and he'd asked me about Pride Month and I, I gave it some further thought after that and the, the the point that I wanted to make there is that a victory for now is not a victory for all time um I think I think it was Tony Ben who used to say, see, I'm now quoting Labour Party figures. We said we wouldn't do politics. Um, But I think it was him who said words to the effect of, well, you never truly win. You just have to keep fighting. You have to keep pushing. Absolutely. And and you do see that borne out in countries like America, where certain LGBT plus rights are starting to be rolled back in, in certain parts of the country, parts where it's Um, devolved from a federal level to a state level. You know, Florida's the epicentre of that at the moment. Um,
2: As far as we are in the UK, I think culturally, the sense of public opinion that I get is pretty advanced. I do think that. We aren't perfect.
1: And there is a degree to which People who say they don't want to hear about it, you know they don't like it being forced down their throats they don't they think that the LGBT plus community is receiving
2: overexposure there's a degree to which those people are masking darker instincts but that in itself is almost a way in which we're we're
1: ahead of the other parts of the world where homophobia can be openly expressed,
0: yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? And I guess is it
1: there's a lot of contradictions wrapped up in this,
0: yeah, um, I mean my, I, I wonder right like and, and uh, I, I am a I am the the archetypal white middle-aged cis man, right? like so so my my exposure to a lot of this is minimal. Yeah. um but yeah i i i wonder if the fact that yeah you're right you know the fact that people can express that and they're not it's not necessarily hidden you know does that make us slightly it makes people slightly further along the journey right like like at least at least they're identifying something and then you can address that because at least they're identifying that prejudice and you can kind of ad- ad- attack, or attack's a wrong word, but approach that prejudice, you know, that's probably better than, than, than it being hidden, I would
1: imagine, to a point, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the things that I've seen a number of examples of in recent years is people, particularly men, of a certain age group, say, 40s, 50s, 60s, reflecting on the working environments, the social environments that they've occupied in their lives and the kind of prejudice that may have existed within them. I actually think one of the best examples of this that I've seen was a panel that Paddy Power did a few years ago, which was talking about the homophobic culture that existed within football dressing rooms. Yeah, yeah. I remember they had, uh, two reasons I remember that. One is that they had Scott Brown and Graham Sunis, um on that round table. And anything that brings together a, a former Celtic legend and a former Rangers legend must be a big deal. <laughs> like oh, anyone, anyone who knows football
2: knows there is no more vicious rivalry than that. But also, particularly Soonis was, I think, quite brave in talking about the homophobic
1: comments, the homophobic attitudes that existed in a football dressing room at that time. And I think that is, from my perspective, I welcome that. And I admire it in a sense. I think it's brave to admit to previous mistakes and to declare that you're going to try and improve to try and spread that message and this is why i said at the top of the show not everyone who's listening to this who is an lgbt plus person will agree with me because there will be those who can't forgive that there'll be those who are so deeply, and this is not a judgment on my part there are those who are too deeply traumatized by previous experience of prejudice to ever forgive that
2: and it's I'm a scale, right? Be, yeah,
1: I'm lucky yeah, not to be in that position. Yeah,
0: prejudice is it, it, it's it's a scale, and some people may have experienced it in 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 the smallest way possible, and some like it is by no way the same. But yeah. I grew up on a council estate with a very working class dad. He had three jobs. Yeah, um, you know, so I was always the smelly kid from the council estate, right? That prejudice was me from the start and actually I, grew, look, I i'll talk about this right like i grew up with a dad who had very um uncomfortable opinions about people that were gay and and yeah. and other opinions as well right now i could have i could have easily had been that that person that that took those opinions as their own and that's cuz let's be honest a lot of this prejudice comes from parental before societal, right? Like, it's a, it's something that, that that is ingrained from a parental level and then a societal level and then whatever else. So I could have quite easily have taken on some of my dad's not so pleasant views, but I didn't. Like, I, I kind of looked mm. at the world and went, <clears throat> you know, this, you know, the world is what it is and you've got to kind of embrace and accept people. And I chose my own path. Yeah. so. But for sure, like, going back to my point, I think, yeah, you're right. There's different levels of, of, of prejudice that people have experienced. And that will that will then influence how forgiving and how how accepting you can be of that. But football is an interesting example, right? It's such a huge sport. And what, there's, like, two out footballers or something, like, to that level? There's very few. It's, it's, yeah. You know, I'd say it's, it's, it's two, probably 200% better than it was a couple of years ago. But two is still... Probably, I would argue, not representative of
1: how many football players that probably are. Yeah. And I think it's it, 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 it's important to recognize at this point that there's sport is a binary issue in that. I, I actually think that football and other mainstream sports are doing great work in trying to support gay people. It's a different kettle of fish for trans people, and it's important that we recognise yes, because
2: competitive sport has become what what an epicenter of that debate.
1: Um, and and it's- I, I think when we consider that that there's there's two angles that one should consider it from. One is the actual substance of the debate, and one is the tone of it. I can't sit here on this podcast and say to you that I know all the answers about the dilemma around trans people in competitive sport. I don't. But I do know that the debate is being conducted over their heads. And I do know that it's being conducted in a way which is vindictive, which is not respectful of the people involved. And that to me is just as important as the outcome and the substance of the debate itself. I remember watching Paris Lee on Question Time, who's a transgender activist and, and commentator. She's the only transgender person ever to be invited on Question Time. And she made the point that, well, she made a, a couple of good points that I'll, I'll raise with you. One is that trans people make up a very small percentage of the population of the UK, probably less than 1%. So the coverage in certain media outlets that they receive is disproportionate in terms of their impact on society and the way in which they influence it. But also that 45% of young trans people, I can't remember the exact age cutoff but 45% Let's,
2: for the sake of argument, say young trans people have attempted to commit suicide. Not just thought about it, attempted,
1: and in very few quarters is the question being asked: what is the what is causing these kids to feel so desperate and alone? And that's to do with the tone of the debate.
0: And it it doesn't help when you have celebrities of note, and I'm not going to use names, but celebrities of note that that that, that, that have taken a view on this subject and and actively promote it right it's it's the the transports like i i i've talked about this before i play roller derby and roller derby as itself has always been a huge beacon for the lgbtq plus community we've got um ice skate for eastbourne and we have uh, have and have had trans skaters. We've had yeah. f- female identifying skaters, and and gay, straight, and pretty much everything in between. Right? It's a, it's a it's an amazing sport where everyone is accepted and everyone is welcome. And there are teams, regardless of where or who you identify with, that you can play for. And it's fantastic, right? It's it's amazing to to train, and I train. With, I train with juniors, so yeah, younger skaters. Um, I train with trans skaters. I've trained men, female, and, and everything else. And it is genuinely an interesting sport, and it's taught me so much about this subject and, and so much about the conversation and what you have to consider. I also commentate on roller derby, and... One of the things I've had to really make sure I work on is pronouns, right? Like
2: yeah.
0: I make a I make an active effort now to go around and check with the team before every game, pronouns of skaters, and then I have that written down and I make sure that I'm correctly using pronouns for each skater yeah. on track. Which by the way, is can be difficult when you're calling action in a sporting environment to to to, to nail that. So I get it sure. wrong. Absolutely I get it wrong but when I do, I make sure I apologise or correct. my yeah. One of my um, favourite co-commentators I, I identifies as non-binary, right? So they've changed pronouns in the time that I've known them. So I still say she rather than they because I've been doing it for such a long time. I've been working with them for, for, for years now, like, eight, nine years, that change has been really hard. So I try to do everything I can do on a on a macro level, but ultimately it's a great sport and it, it defies all those other sports that are out there in that it is fully inclusive.
1: The most important thing that a non LGBT plus person can demonstrate is a willingness to learn because There's not necessarily a reason why gay culture, trans culture should be a part of your everyday life if you're not part of it yourself. But you, I think, need to have an open heart and an open mind to learn when you find yourself in a position where you don't know everything about a person. If you are, for instance, in a position where someone asks you to use different pronouns when you refer to them that's a situation where I think it's perfectly reasonable to say ah I'm sorry I didn't realize that I'll take that on board thank you for telling me because it's 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 a brave thing for that trans person to say as well they don't know what response they're going to elicit from you when they say that
0: well that's interesting right and you're absolutely right it's it's like for me, it's become something that I've I've become really used to. When someone comes up, oh, can you? And I'm like, yeah, no drama, cool, excellent, make it like that, fine. For other people, it can be it can be something that they, you know, that that they're not so used to hearing, and the reaction can be different. And again, so yeah, you're right. It's it, it is really brave to be able to have that conversation and and, and be able to do that.
1: People, um, people react in different ways to things that exist outside their own frame of reference. And that's why I say it's important to have an open mind and that willingness to learn. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to return briefly to Graham Souness. I'm not, I'm not the <laughs> president of the fan club. I, I promise it's I'm gonna not. Say, have you got a Souness badge somewhere? I'm not even a Liverpool fan. Do you know what? I
0: can tell you a great story about about, um, how Graham Sooners uh, almost got me into trouble once. Not in person, but, you know, just using his name. But unfortunately, it's not one I can tell on the podcast. We'll save that for another
1: day. Yeah. But he... um, He was on a live Sky Sports broadcast um, where he talks about going down to Brighton Pride. Yeah. With the mission to learn about that community. And he said... We had a fabulous day out, and anybody who wants to actually learn about the LGBT plus community, get yourself down to that parade. And that, I thought, was a really straightforward, important message that people could relate to. Do you understand the community? No, that's fine. But the resources are there and the occasions are there for you to learn about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's great. So look, let's, let's get a little bit more macro, right? Uh, sure. Let's talk about um, organizations and businesses and, 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 and everything else. So yeah. how can organizations mark Pride Month and create a more supportive ethos for, for LGBT plus people throughout the rest of the year, right? Because I think we mm. talked about, we talked to this, to Dale about this, mm. that like Black History Month is great, but. You know what about the? It shouldn't be forgotten the other the other eleven months of the year. Yeah. Um. And I'm ass- i I, yeah, I make the assumption, but I'm assuming you share that similar view. So so what can organisations do, and how do we how do we do that outside of that month?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean the the other point that Dale and I think we had Kaylee on the um, same podcast, didn't we? Kaylee Graham from tellaroo and she she expressed similar sentiments that you know Black history is human history and the same is true of lgbt plus history as well the the dilemma for me is that we have to uh, we have to distinguish between the world that we would like to live in and the world that we do live in and i would love to live in a world where human history is one and the same regardless of what demographic you fit into but that's that's a very far off world that's utopia so i i do still think that Black History Month, Pride Month, International Women's Day, these occasions that that mark the contribution of different aspects of society are important. To answer your question about how organizations can market, I think the most important thing they can do is give people who identify as being part of that community a voice. I don't necessarily believe that the classic rainbow logo is the best way of marking the occasion. And you hear many stories of global brands who will do that in some countries, but not others because of the political or public reaction that they anticipate. And we live in a world where information is readily available. People see through that. It's, it's not sincere people see it as a cash in rainbow washing they call it that. um i think the best thing that organizations can do is approach it from a much more human level and approach it internally before they approach it externally so when we did that panel on the culture festival last year and i spoke about that i i don't know to what extent um LGBT employees at Walters Cluer Tax and Accounting UK have been invited to do things like that. I know there are initiatives going on across Walters Kluwer more globally. um, And I'm not suggesting that we haven't done that in the UK division. I'm just saying, I don't know. But that, I think, was a really good example of giving someone the opportunity to talk and giving everyone else the opportunity to listen and to hear a human story that's got value, it's got worth, and it's something that can't necessarily be measured in the kind of statistics that you hear churned out on the BBC. So that, I think, is the best thing that can do it. And if you are running a smaller organisation that may not have the LGBT community represented,
2: if, you've, if you're running an organisation of, say, five staff, it's perfectly possible, then reach out to the broader
1: industry community because it because it is there it is represented and there are parties there who are willing to impart their experience as long as you are willing to learn
0: yeah i think that's i think that's a really really good point um and you're right it, it it's so important that we highlight this these issues beyond just the virtual virtue signaling that 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 does tend to happen over this month like organizations that never talk about these issues all of a sudden it's at the forefront and then the next week they're back to yeah whatever it is right It, it it's not it's not it it feels like doing it for the sake of doing it and you're right it always it always concerns me when you see an organisation that in one country is, is kind of like, yay, you know, look at our rainbow flag on everything, but yet operate in other countries that where it's more tricky,
1: yet. I, I've got one particular brand in mind, which I won't name on the podcast because it's not my, my place to do that. But suffice to say, it's a household name consumer brand that went big on rainbow logos in the United States and in the UK and kept very, very quiet in, for instance, Saudi Arabia where it's illegal to be gay. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's I, I'm not passing moral judgment on that myself. I'm simply making the point that the internet exists and people yeah. who are socially aware and who care about these issues will see through that in an instant because the information is readily available to them. People are not daft. They don't fall for insincere stunts like that
0: no we're we're far more um aware and far more kind of awake as a society than we've ever been i think and you know the the world is a much smaller place now and i don't think you can get away with with that kind of potential cynical activity i i you know take it as you, as you will so
2: i i kind of i love pride month just because um you know
0: it does bring up these conversations and it does kind of focus people um and it's oh you know it, it, it's also accompanied by some fun stuff that happens to highlight the events right like you've got pride yeah. brand. even even my little sleepy town of eastbourne now has a pride festival i was um i skated in the very first one that they did a few years back um and now they've, they've moved it from being something that that literally was somewhere where no one could see it to somewhere where it's a bit more central in the town. Which is lovely. It's nice to see that the evolution of that. Um
1: you're only up the road from Brighton to be fair.
0: I it's a very different place though.
1: I mean it's not it's not had to spread far geographically Phil, let's be fair
0: geographically no. (laughs) Um yeah geographically no uh socially and economically a little bit right like Mm -hmm. true story like in Eastbourne there was there was genuine there was genuine complaints Mm. um about having a Pride Festival near the centre of town and that's why it was moved to the outside of town. Right. Like I think the complaints were, were were veiled around the um around uh you know it would it would damage the the kind of um businesses that would have to kind of where the traffic couldn't go. And I'm like, it's gonna have the exact opposite effect of that because more people can be there. But you know, again yeah. th- we've evolved over that time and in five years it's now a much bigger thing with a big party in the park. And we actually get some people that you, you know. So it's a pretty yeah. cool thing. But I guess, why, is Pride, why does Pride remain important to the wider society? And, and what's its personal significance to you?
1: I first experienced Pride when I was a singer and I did a gig at the Facebook offices in London. They had a big office just off Houston Square. And they used to open their offices on a Saturday of the same Saturday as Pride in London. And they'd have a big party in there because the, it's, it's huge, the Facebook office, as you can imagine. And the first time I did it, I was closeted. And the second time I did that gig, I wasn't. Um, so it, it's, it, it's a very sort of binary memory for me, aside from, you know, we'd go there, we'd, I'd do seven or eight songs. And then we'd, we'd we'd enjoy food and Prosecco and, and so on that they'd laid on. Um, and I've always remembered, there's there's a song that we did, which is from uh, Dear Evan Hansen, uh, the musical, and it's called You Will Be Found, which has very pertinent lyrics for Pride. It's a really popular song among the, the LGBT community if you are uh, a musical theatre fan, which
2: stereotypically many are. And... I, I remember I, w- I was singing next to a friend of mine who could see that I was shaking during the chorus of that, and
1: he held my hand during that. I've always remembered that. Um, so th- th- there are th- there are sort of little snippets of time that I associate with with pride, which are, you know, not grand gestures. They're not big campaign banners. They're just moments in a human being's life that resonate and that to me can be the the most convincing thing of all um for the
0: record they're often the most important ones right
1: like it's those little moments
0: every 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 story that that people tell it's it's always based around those little moments that they remember and as time goes on Mm. the detail around the edges fade but those moments are almost forever so they're they're actually the most important ones
1: yeah i think so um and then i and then i'd seen the parade been around the parade and last year in 2022 i was actually in it um because my boyfriend at the time worked for the financial ombudsman and they had a regular slot in the parade so we walked the full length of it from i can't even remember where started in the parade I know it ends around Whitehall um and it was incredible I mean I've, I've never had an experience like that and I didn't know that it would necessarily be my thing I certainly didn't think it would be my boyfriend's um because he's a more reserved personality than I am um but it felt truly truly special um aside from the fact that it's a long old way to walk without a toilet it really is <laughs> and that literally people are me out i getting literally people getting to the end of the parade route and then running for the nearest pub
0: yeah it it really is
1: like that
0: that that would count me out i i couldn't walk that far um without a a toilet break at least halfway um (laughs) so look i i i want to i want to kind of as we kind of come to the end of the podcast i want to ask you a question that i think is really important right because there are a lot of people that, that are allies out there. There are a lot of people that, that kind of want to support these events, but actually want to support beyond these events. Yeah. Um, and I consider myself to, to very much be one of those, right? Like, so what tips can you give me and and others who want to become and be a more active ally to the community, to, to you and and Mm. to, to, to others like you in their, in their workplace?
2: Yeah.
1: So, first of all, I mean, you, you asked on the previous question why is why is pride still important in today's society? Well, it's a global campaign. It's a global fight for LGBT rights, and members of that community on the other side of the world are are, are just as important. So that's the first thing that I would remind people that this is not about the UK, a country where In law, at least, LGBT plus people are are, are largely equal before the law. There are issues around the trans debate, as we mentioned, and uh, issues around um, blood donations and things like that, which are still being debated. But more or less, we exist on on an equal footing at this point.
2: Um, the, The first piece of advice that I would give to people who want to be more active allies is... In a sense, and I hope this doesn't come across as aggressive when I say it, but educate yourself. There are some fantastic books out there um, from people who, who have been through an
1: age where homosexuality was illegal in this country, people who lived through Section 28 when they were at school, as I did. Um, so that, that, I think, is, is the first step. Find those resources you know, we we live in an age, as I said, where edu- uh, where information is readily available. So it's not a difficult thing to do to seek out those sources. Second thing I w- would say
2: is challenge your friends, your family, people who who may not know
1: the impact of the things that they say. And when I say challenge, I don't necessarily mean taking people to task. I mean Gently asking them what they mean when they cast aspersions about a particular community. The, the vast majority of people who ask why Pride parades still exist are people who've never been to them. There are some people who, of course, go along, you know, with with printed um, messages from uh, from the Bible or whatever, and they're there to be deliberately provocative. But by and large, people who um, ask why Pride still happens are people who've never gone and they've developed a, a paper skeleton in their minds of what Pride actually is. I've I've seen people on social media this week who have insisted that Pride is a parade of thousands of naked men walking through the street. I don't think I've ever seen a naked person on a pride parade. Hold on, hold on. If, if
0: that's the case, I'm definitely not gonna go now. You've, you've put me <laughs> off. That's, that's oh. the only reason I was going. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and and ultimately, remember, it's not difficult. It's not difficult to challenge homophobic people because the position doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Um, you know, my 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 dad always used to say to me that that there's a difference between being mad and being stupid. Well, that's true, but fortunately, homophobic people tend to be both. Um, and <laughs> I, I've seen uh, I found the best example that I can give you to illustrate that was because I'm an Arsenal fan I follow them on Facebook and so on and I saw their Pride Month post at the start of this month and of course there's a deluge of people um, from various parts of the world including the United Kingdom who are asking why it is that Arsenal are doing that and many of them are insisting that their support for LGBT plus people is the reason that Arsenal didn't win the Premier League this season genuinely that's I've seen that written many, many times. I think um, there's, I think there's many reasons that it didn't
0: happen. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that reason is in, in definitely in the bottom
1: one percent, if not lower. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it, it. One Google search is all it takes to find out that actually, will Manchester City, who are the current Premier League champions. And you can probably clip that for for various years to come. I don't see that changing. <laughs> um, do exactly the same thing, and they have an LGBT plus fans association called the Canal Street Blues, which is named after the um, Canal Street of Manchester, which is the the uh, LGBT hub of the city. Um, and I and I said that to someone, and I genuinely had someone come back saying, "No, they don't." So it, it's it's the willingness to delude yourself that is most intriguing about homophobic people
2: yeah Um,
1: but very few people are that firmly ingrained in those beliefs and most people who express homophobic sentiments will fold um under pretty minimal pressure if you simply ask them to explain what they're saying
0: and you know rightly so because there's no justifiable argument mm. for that right like it's not it's not a point you can it i, I it's not a point that is defendable um mm. you know it's interesting ollie this has been a uh, for me it's been a really interesting chat and to do our first proper two hand on the podcast and to do it about a subject that that, that clearly is very passionate to you and and mm. clearly i have a i have an interest in as well um hopefully everyone listening to this will will be able to take something from it be it hints and tips about how to build a more inclusive organization um or just about how to support those friends and people you know that 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 will still unfortunately have faced homophobia or transphobia or or whatever it is because whilst we are better than some as a as a country as you've pointed out we're still not you know there's still always work to be done that fight is never going to be won and it's always going to be a a battle there's always going to be people that put those things on posts and you know so look thanks i think it's been a a really interesting and insightful conversation it's
1: been terrifying for me i (laughs) I normally i've normally come on this show expecting to ask questions not answer them it's been Um, it's been been terrifying for me as well (laughs) (laughs) do you know I I do want to um quickly before we before we finish I do want to say something quickly about um bisexual people because we haven't talked about them um in great depth on the podcast and it is an important issue and I say that because um LGBT plus people are not immune to bigotry themselves and some of the most common Remarks I see about bisexual people, and one of my closest friends is, is bisexual. He's in a very happy relationship with, with a woman. He's been in relationships with men. Um, come from that classic old trope of bi today, gay tomorrow. And I want to, it, if there's one trope that I want to call out on this podcast, it's that one, because it, it's the laziest thing in the world. And it is often peddled by members of the LGBT plus society who should know a lot better. And I want to make that point because I think it's important to point out that none of us are perfect. And that's why the willingness to learn and improve and adapt is so important.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a that's a really, really good point. And I think you 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 see it within I see it as an outsider that even within that community, there is sometimes negativity towards other elements of that community. Yeah, And you kind of think, well, if you can't support your own community, how do you expect others to support that community? It becomes, really, it, it makes a complex situation, or si- sorry, a situation that shouldn't be complex, even more complicated. Um, but no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, well, look, um, that's it. I get to read this bit. I never get to read this bit. That's (laughs) it for this episode of the Practice Evolution podcast. You can find out more about Walters Kluwer Tax and Accounting UK by visiting walterskluwer.co.uk or connecting with us on LinkedIn or following us on Twitter. And remember to subscribe, rate, review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Ollie, thanks so much for um swapping seats for this episode and allow me to talk to you about something that i think is super important um hopefully um uh, it was okay for you
1: yeah don't worry listeners you'll have me back in the chair for the next one
0: <laughs> excellent well look thanks for listening and uh, don't forget to check out all of our um additional podcasts including um many more episodes that we recorded at Countex. uh with some great content coming up over the coming weeks so
2: thanks for listening and uh we'll catch you soon cheers bye-bye <music>